ActiveHistory.ca is pleased to present a recording of No Glory Event, 100 Years of Women's Hockey in Quebec. The talk was by Linda Barrow as part of the Ottawa Historical Association Lecture Series and was delivered on September 16, 2014. You can find recordings of other talks at ActiveHistory.ca. Especially pleased because Ottawa is the cradle of women's hockey in Canada, as you probably all know. By the way, I wondered if everyone is a hockey historian here, like uh, Andrew or I mean, and, my, and uh, Paul Kitchen. Are you all into hockey's history? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. <laughs> and did you all grow up with women who uh, played hockey around you, or yes? Yes. Okay. Who's from Ontario here? Everyone. Who's from, <laughs> is there anyone from Quebec? Okay. BC. Uh, BC. <laughs> good. Um, as um, well, Jennifer introduced me, so it's already done. Uh, I grew up in. Uh, a small town called Grandmère in uh, Quebec in the 1960s. And uh, no one around me in the very French-speaking city, and no one around me played hockey. No, well, little boys did play hockey, but I didn't know of any woman who did play hockey. Girls uh, didn't play hockey in, in uh, our French-speaking community. Uh, I played with a friend of mine, with a little girlfriend, I remember. It's funny how memory works, because I remember I was six or seven, and I had a, some sort of a Mickey Mouse watch. And I was going, I was, we were just the two of us on the, the family ice rink, and I was going in the corner of the rink, and I was talking to Mickey Mouse and saying, okay, watch me now. Watch me, I'm going to score a goal. And then I was skating as fast as possible to score. But um, I knew very well that there was no uh, girls' team, there was uh, no uh, girls' league, uh, there was no uh, uh, championship for girls or trophies or applause or whatsoever. Um, so I became a journalist and a few years ago, some 10 years ago already, I did work on that CBC uh, Radio Canada co-production called uh, Hockey, A People's History. And that's when I saw Brian McFerling's book. I don't know if you know that book, that would, uh, which was published some 20 years ago about women's hockey history in Canada. Have you seen it? Have you ever seen it? It was a book published some 20 years ago, and it was uh, an overview of Canadian women's hockey history. But it didn't focus. It spanned all Canada, but it didn't focus specifically on Quebec. And I was just totally flabbergasted. I was totally uh, astonished to see a woman, I mean, probably you not because you grew up, but I mean, in this, but in, in French Quebec, I had never seen 
a, a woman with a long skirt and holding a hockey stick in her hand. And I thought, my goodness, women have been playing for over a hundred years. And how come, and then I, I never heard of that before. And I had never seen such pictures. And I thought, well, women were playing in Ontario. They were playing in Prince Edward Island. They were playing in Alberta, in Manitoba. But were they playing in Quebec? Uh, did the French Canadian play, and when did it all started, and so on? So I, I thought I'm going to dig this because no book had never been written on the the matter in Quebec. This story had never been told before, or never been showed in Quebec. So um, when the series was over, um, I I started to do some research uh, on it by weekends or at night and discovered, among other things, that already in 1875, there were young women playing hockey with the Montreal um, hockey pioneers of the time. You know, this bunch of young McGill students who did play the first modern hockey game in Montreal with a very specific set of rules, because men and boys had been playing for a long time, but with no specific rules. So this was a turning point in hockey's history. Uh, and when those young men, who were members of the Victoria Club in Montreal, at night had some dinner parties, they would invite their female friends to play hockey with them uh, afterwards. And this story w was told to the Montreal Gazette some, in 1943 by Henry James, who was one of the young uh, Miguel students who was part of that famous hockey game on a night on the night of March 1875 so I was quite astonished that, that already young women had been playing but the first recorded uh, ladies game here in Canada uh, took place here in Ottawa on the Rideau Hall rink do you all know of Isabel Stanley yeah no everyone knows about her uh, no? Okay. So, Isabel Stanley. Okay, I told you there, there would be some pictures, so I should show you a few. So, here is Isabel Stanley. She was the daughter of then uh, Governor General Lord Arthur uh, Frederick Stanley, who came to Canada in um, 1888. And the following winter in 1889, he was in Montreal, the Montreal Winter Carnival, and he discovered. Uh, from what the story says, uh, ice hockey in Montreal. And he fell in love with the game, and his daughter was with him. She was 13 at the time, uh, 13 years old, and she also fell in love with the game. Uh, so Lord Stanley had this huge rink on Rideau Hall, and he invited uh, men and women to play hockey once in a while. So the first recorded uh, ladies game happened there in Ottawa in 1889. Uh, this is quite a well-known picture which was in Brian McFarlane's book. I don't know if you've seen this before but Isabel Stanley was uh, presumably the one with the white coat. Uh, so that was in 1890. The thing which is interesting that I found out is this picture, which has also been taken in 1890 in Switzerland, because women, British women, had been playing 
field hockey for already quite a long time, so I guess it was not that difficult to put on skates and play what was called then often bandy or shinty or so on. So it's interesting because that's something I didn't know. I don't know, Paul, if you knew about that, but that women had been playing also um, quite at the same time uh, in Europe. This is also a picture that I bought on eBay, which was taken in 1891, some British bandy players. So you see their skates, their hats. Obviously, the weather was not as, uh, <laughs> as cold as here, with their kind of steel hockey sticks. Uh, this is also something I bought on eBay, which was in, uh, published in 1893. This was in um, it was a ladies' match on the lake in Wimbledon Park in London, and this was published in a British weekly newspaper called The Graphic. So you see the same kind of skates, same kind of uh, hockey sticks, same kind of hats, but they play with a ball. They don't play with uh, a puck. Uh, so these were the first la the first ladies to that we know started to play. And if I, I often say, because my book is a really an overview of the 100 years of hockey's, of women's hockey history in Quebec. But if I, I, uh, I was telling you earlier this afternoon, if I didn't have a mortgage to pay and two teens at home, I would do a PhD on the very beginning of women's hockey in Canada in the period of 1875 until 1900, because I think there is still a lot uh, to do and, and to discover about this period of time. But it seems like the first Beckers, the first Anglo-Quebecers to play uh, were the Royal Victoria College students who uh, asked the permission to McGill University. Royal Victoria College was part of McGill and they asked the authorization to use the rank and they were granted the permission under three conditions. They had to, warm, uh, they had to be uh, warmly dressed first. Second, they had to be guarded by three guards, one on top of the faculty building, and also uh, male students couldn't gather around the ring when they were playing. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, in the very, very first book ever published in Canada about hockey, which was called Canada's Royal Winter Game, which was written by Arthur Farrell, who was a Montrealer back in 18. Already there was um, a drawing of a young hockey player and uh, a line or two saying that there was a surprisingly uh, growing number of lady, ladies hockey teams in Canada already. And the following year you have the cover of Harper's Bazaar magazine. I don't know if you guys know that magazine, but I'm sure the ladies do <laughs> still there. But in 1900, the magazine was proclaiming ladies hockey the fashionable winter sport for women already in 1900. Um, when did the French Canadians, well the French uh, Quebecers started to play? Probably, well the, the, the first, and already by that time in the, in the early 1900s there were clubs, ladies clubs in Montreal, in Three Rivers, in Sherbrooke, and Quebec City. And it was the elite who did play. Uh, as an example, in Quebec City, the daughter of the Solicitor General under Wilfrid Laurier 
was playing, the daughter of uh, Quebec Chief Justice was playing, also the niece of the founder of Université Laval, uh, the, the heiress of the Price family, one of the wealthiest families in, uh, in Quebec. But the French elite, the, the, there was just a handful of French-speaking ladies who were playing because they were not very much into sport. Not, sport was not as popular as it was within the Anglo elite in, in Quebec. It was, not, it was not a ladies' game for, for them. Um, so at first, very, very few French Canadians. This is the Westmount ladies hockey team in 1902. These ladies, when they first uh, started to play, they were practicing and playing. Uh, men couldn't attend to, to their practices or, or games. You know, they played in some sort of secrecy. You know, the first game they played, there were four, 400 women at their game, but no male journalist, no male uh, doorman, no one. So it's uh, this uh, was a team of Westmont. They played at the Westmont Arena. It's that, that's one of the, the interesting things that I found out, that women played in all um, Montreal Canadiens arenas. They played at the Westmont uh, Arena in 1900. They played, at, they played at the Jubilee Rink during World War One. They played at Montreal Arena uh, in the 1920s, at the Montreal Forum in the 1930s and 40s. They played at Molson Center, which is now the Bell Center. So they played in all, women played in all those places, which a fact that French Quebecers um, are not aware of. Uh, here is uh, Evelyn Molson, who was a player back in 1904 with the Montreal Victoria. She's the great, great aunt of actual uh, Montreal Canadiens owner, Jeff, Andrew, and Justin Molson. Um, these are the kind of postcards um, Canadians would send abroad in the early 1900s. And these were the kind of postcards they could receive from Switzerland or from France in the early 1900s as well. I especially like this one, I don't know, like it. Um, and these were some drawings back in 1904 and 1905 in La Presse by three different artists. And what's, it's, it's find it uh, pretty uh, funny to how they draw women who play. They're not really good looking, eh? They're pretty <laughs> ugly, especially those two here. But these are three different artists, and you see that, you know, they're kind of, ladies who play hockey are kind of crazy, it seems. <laughs> so, in 1914 in Montreal, there was a telephone, there was a, a telephone operators league, which had six teams, uh, 42 players. They attracted uh, quite big crowds, a uh, few, uh, several hundreds of uh, people. It was quite popular for a season, but it lasted only one season. And during World War I, uh, ladies' hockey in Quebec was extremely popular. Then it was no more the elite who was playing, it was the working class had been taking over. Uh, this was a French Canadian, and French Canadians were now playing. They were always in a minority. Uh, 
but I mean, there were here and there whole French Canadian teams like this one in La Tuque, this one in Sorel, and those two in Rivière du Loup. I especially like this picture, which is on the cover of the book. Uh, because of the very French Canadian house and uh, the ice is just in front of the house, which is very convenient. <laughs> and um, so, and this is this was another French Canadian team in Montreal, the Oshlaga, the only French Canadian team during World War One in Montreal in the league, because the best. Um, team in Montreal during World War I was the Western Ladies Hockey Club. And for the ones who know a little bit about hockey's history, look, they had the, the same shirt as the, the, the Montreal uh, Wanderers. And the best uh, player of the team was a quite the whole team was uh, English <laughs> Quebecer, but the captain was <laughs> the daughter of French-Canadian carpenter, uh, Agnès Vautzi, and she was quite the best Montreal player at the time. Here is Agnès again with Albertine La Pensée, who some of you might know. She has quite an interesting story. Who knows about her? No? Albertine was, from, was a Franco-Ontarian from Cornwall. And uh, during World War I, she was the star of ladies hockey in Quebec, in Montreal especially, but also here, I might say, in Ontario, she would make daily headlines. She was uh, frequent, frequently invited to play in Montreal. She would attract crowds of 3,000 people every time she was at the Jubilee Rink in Montreal. Uh, but ladies hockey, she, she really drew uh, cheering crowds. But ladies hockey was extremely popular during World War I because uh, men were gone to the war, rings were free, so ladies, ladies took over. And what, that's what fascinates me about hockey, because it tells so much about who we are and what we've been through, uh, the wars we fought, the crisis we went through, or uh, the relationship between men and women, be between um, French Canadians and English Canadians, uh, the relationship we have with religion, it tells so, so many stories. So these were the two stars of World War I. Albertine here, as you see, she, there were in Montreal newspaper at the time during World War I made daily headlines, really uh, every day in French newspaper like La Presse or in English newspaper like Montreal Daily Star. Albertine La Pensée was champion du monde de hockey de dames, the world champion already. <laughs> and here is Albertine. But Albertine was there for two seasons, and after two seasons, she just disappears. There was, oh, I forgot to tell you, there were some rumors. Her rivals were saying, well, she's not, she, she cannot be a, a, a girl. Albertine and Agnès were both 17. Usually they were 17 or 18. And um, her rivals were saying, well, she can't be a girl, she's too good to be a girl. I mean, she's sometimes scoring five, six, seven goals in a game. It just cannot be a girl. So um, she disappears, and in this Brian McFarlane's book, which was published some 20 years ago, 
he did talk with a relative of Albertine in Cornwall who said that uh, Albertine in 1918 went to New York City, had a sex change, and came back as a man called under the name of Albert Smith and opened a gas station in Cornwall. Is the story true? I don't know. Was Albertine a man or a woman? I don't know. It's still, you know, quite a lot of people, people at the CBC when we were working on the series did a fair lot of research trying to find out if she did exist. Albertine, you know, had a, rec a record, you know, she was born, she was a girl, but I mean, did she become a man or was she really... We don't know. Still, the mystery is entire a hundred years afterwards. But um, this was quite um, quite a decade, the 1910s. For uh, Albertine is here. See, whoops. Uh, this was uh, her Cornwall team, and Albertine is the one sitting in the front row. The 1920s, you can see by the haircut that we're in a different period now. I mean, you can see a Coca-Cola ad from 1923, which was published in the Saturday Evening Post. Quite glamorous. Uh, film fun. It looks pretty contemporary, but it was in 1926, this Film Fun magazine. Looks very glamorous, but... Um, that decade was a difficult decade for ladies' hockey in, in Quebec because after the war, men came back, took back the rinks, and uh, women didn't play as much. The, no more headlines, no more championships, no more applause. It was sort of over. And Miguel students were the backbone of ladies' hockey in Montreal at the time. This, is, this was a... Uh, a Miguel a champion team in 1923, but Miguel was never as good as uh, University of Toronto team, and for that whole decade, and it will be it would be true for most of the time in the last century. Ontario was always or usually stronger than Quebec uh, when it came to uh, championships between uh, Quebec and Ontario. Not all the time, but often. And at the end of the, the 1920s came a team called the Northern Electric. These were workers from the Northern Electric who played. And his best player, again, all the team, the whole team was English speaking, but the best player of the team was Simon Cochon, who would make, in the 1930s, headlines, uh, who had huge crowds applauding her, but at some point, fell into oblivion, like Agnès Vautier or Albertine Lapensée. We're now in the 1930s, and there are some more uh, French-Canadian teams uh, in Abitibi, northern Quebec. This is in 1935, all, all of them being Meyer's daughters. This is another team in, um, near Sétine, Franklin. But uh, the French Canadians who would play were pretty, uh, had to have a fair bit of guts because it was not very well regarded towards. Here is um, an article that I found in the Petit Journal, which was a major newspaper at the time, and it says that hockey was dangerous for women. I think there were a few of these articles also in English newspapers, some doctors, 
didn't like women to play hockey because it was not good for uh, for them to uh, for their not fertility, but uh, let's say it was dangerous for their organs, or I don't know how to say this, but <laughs> it's very funny. In this article, they say, you know, you have to, uh, women are sacred vases, and you have to manage the, 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 the fragile package. And uh, they were saying they were not civilized to play hockey. So the ones who played among French Canadians, even though there was that kind of also comments, um, I remember reading a New York Post uh, columnist back in, well, I was not there in 1941, but I read it in the archives saying that, uh, because women were told in Quebec that they looked better with a, with a broom in their hands than a, a hockey stick. And Jack Miley was writing in 1941 that, you know, he had never seen a woman look better with a, uh, no, how do you say that? That, uh, women look better with a frying pan in her hands instead of uh, a tennis racket. I guess he had never seen Jeannie Bouchard. And I was telling you that women had played in all Montreal Canadiens arena. In the 1930s, the big, the, the big, big rivalry in Montreal was between the two professional clubs, male clubs, uh, the French Canadians and the, the, the English Maroons, mostly was quite an intense rivalry. While there was the same among women, there was the Canadian and there was the Maroons. And uh, Simon Cochon, the, the English were good because they recruited the, the best player, which was Simon Cochon. So he was the only French Canadian on the team too. So, and there was quite an intense rivalry between the two and they played their finals every year at the Montreal Forum and see they, they sort of copied their, the, the male, their male counterparts. This is the, quite the exact uh, same shirt as the Montreal Maroons, and it's quite the same shirt as the Montreal Canadians, with the difference that there's no, not an H in the middle of the C, but an L for ladies' club or for the Canadian. So this is quite something. And another quite intense rivalry were between the Maroons and the Rivolets, the Preston Rivolets, who were from Preston, Ontario, which were you know, by far, by far the best uh, ladies team uh, throughout the 1930s. I think they, on, on 350 games, they lost only one, something like this. So again, Ontario was usually beating Quebec. Uh, these are the Royals. Um, at the end, in 1939, they went on a tour, on an American tour. And there's a story I like they went on a tour and they were playing against the Toronto uh, Ladies Club called the Toronto Ladies. And a story I liked about this, uh, she was uh, Dickie Moore. Dickie Moore was a star with the Montreal Canadiens in the 1950s. She was his sister, his big sister, who played with the Montreal Maroons. They all played in the winter, they played hockey, in the summer they played baseball. And I, I like the story about Ferrand Junot. Uh, she was uh, quite a good player in, in, in September 1939 she gets married she's 23 I think anyways and she loves playing hockey and usually women when they played hockey when they married they quit hockey so and then came this offer with the royal to go on the American tour to go in Philadelphia New York City uh, Manchester 
And she tells her husband, well, I'm going to go in this store. And he said, well, you're married now, so uh, you have to choose. It's marriage or it's uh, hockey. And she took her ring and gave it back to Roland and said, it's hockey, my dear. And she went over. <laughs> she went in the States and did her tour. Had a lot of fun. It's very funny because the first game, her team was losing. And uh, I think she was, they were losing three to one. And in the four last minutes of the game, she scored three goals and her team won. So I guess she had something to prove to her uh, husband. But anyway, she, she came back with her husband and had you know, kids afterwards. Uh, this was Myrtle Cook, who was, you might know about Myrtle Cook, of course, who was a um, uh, columnist at the Montreal Star for nearly 40 years, I think, where she covered women's sports. And without her, it would have been impossible really to know what was going on in the 1930s in Quebec. She was also, of course, uh, she, was, uh, she had won uh, a gold medal at the 1928 Olympics as a runner. So these were the champions of Quebec in 1942. This, this, I like this picture because it's from my mother's village. Uh, this, is the, this is the church where my mother was baptized and where she married and so on. And I find it a little bit funny because women were playing at, in the 1940s and 50s because of the war, uh, women went back, to, went to work, replacing very often men. So didn't have much time to play. So it was kind of the end, the vanishing of organized hockey in Quebec in the 1940s and 50s. Because after the war, their job was to go back to the home and have kids, not to play hockey, not to run after uh, a puck. But they always did play, but more on a recreational basis. Like in villages in Quebec, there were you know winter carnivals, so they would play with the neighboring villages. They would play you know four or five times a win during the winter, and then play against the next village. And see, they had also they had some they had some imagination. They didn't have any sweaters. And these were the referees, and because they didn't have any sweaters, they had those conic <laughs> hats, which was the way to know, okay, he or she is. <laughs> so I like those big snowmobiles. They used them to go from one place to another. Um, Barbara Ann Scott, who was the, you know, the major, which was a big star, the... 1948 and in the 1950s, she was a real role model for all little girls. So it was better to be a figure skater than a hockey player in Quebec at that time. This is a, a picture in 1950 of two teams, the Zas and les Eclairs, the Aces and the Lightning of Amos and Elitibi. And these uh, women created two teams in 1950, played four or five games, and the priest uh, on a Sunday mass went up and said, okay, girls, it's over because hockey is a sin. Uh, it's not a ladies' game. It's a men's game. Uh, you shouldn't be playing. So they had to disband uh, their teams. It didn't last very long. And in 1916, there was uh, the first French-Canadian uh, league um, in Montreal. That was the first. And it's very funny. It's, it's we're kind of... A 
I don't know if you've been watching Mad Men, but it's exactly, you know, those <laughs> ladies are leaving their kitchen for the rink and uh, hockey on the white skates and this surprises us. Some of them here. So there's some sort of a renewal in the 1960s and then after 30 years of not playing against Ontario, some Quebec uh, players uh, organized uh, a championship against Don Mills. This was the, the terrifying team of uh, the Cougars in the 1970s, and they came very often to play here uh, in Ontario, um, also in Quebec. I don't know if you're... You know, Justin Blaney's story is this girl in Ontario who had to, finally her, her case went to Supreme Court. There was a similar case a few years earlier in Quebec. This young girl who was 13 at the time was a goalie on a boys club. And the uh, Quebec Hockey Federation told her, well, expelled her from, from the team, saying that it was dangerous for her security to be a goalie in a boys Club. and also that the Canadian uh, Amateur Hockey Association uh, rules didn't uh, allow girls to play with boys. Anyway, her, court, her case went to court and she, she won. The judge said uh, that the league, the, the team had to take her back. That was in 1978. And her case permitted to future um, champions like Nancy Drolet to play and like Manon Réon to become a goalie as well. Uh, to tell you how, I mean, how I'm seeing Manon Réon, and you grew up with uh, women's hockey, but in Quebec, I hadn't, when I was telling you, I had never seen a woman with a hockey stick before. It was not at all ingrained in um, our culture. Uh, and that story had not been told. That's, so that's why I wanted to show this and to have a book with, the book has over 200 uh, illustrations to show that women have been playing and also to research and to tell that story that we, we, didn't, we weren't only spectators of the game, we were also on the ice. Uh, 1982, first national championship. There were some, in the 1930s, there were some championships, but um, it was not exactly national, but Ontario was coming to Montreal, Prince Edward Island uh, players were coming as well to the Montreal Forum to play, but it was the first national championship in 82. First Quebec team, France Saint-Louis was going to become with Daniel Goyette, some of one of the best players of the province and one of the best players of the national team. In 87 in Mississauga, there was a, a first international encounter. And here in 1990 in Ottawa, first world championship. That was quite something. This, someone from here was, was there. I mean, there was no, no one attended because they really, <coughs> from what I read, it was quite something. It was quite an event. Uh, women couldn't believe that for the, for the first time they could figure out that maybe they would go at the Olympics one day, uh, which happened in the same decade in 1998. Oh, I forgot Manon Réon, who became the first um, 
woman could play in the NHL. She didn't play very long. She played for 20 minutes. Uh, she was, you know, she's she's been told that she, you know, she had been taken. Uh, it was more of a publicity stunt. Yeah, stunt that she was. It's because she was a beautiful young woman, and not because she was good. She was talented, but. She had a lot of guts too, because she's and it, what she told me is she said I was told no so often because she had been playing with boys for a, you know, her whole life, and she said for once I was asked to do something like this I was not going myself to say no to this opportunity, so I went. So um, that's it. So afterwards, Olympics, you know the story. Just gonna <laughs> these these are the images of 2000. Uh, two in Salt Lake City, 2006 in Torino, and 2010 with Marie Philippe who is quite an amazing player. I don't know if you've seen the final this year in Sochi. That was quite, I think I never yelled that much. <laughs> <laughs> I think. So it's what I'm. I was telling you about it tells so much and it's not I, I wanted to do that book not only because it's hockey's history and hockey history is fascinating because it tells a lot about who we are but because it's it, it is in Quebec I know it might sound all this very familiar to you but in French Quebec this story is totally unknown and that's and it's a known part of women's hockey history and also that was why I thought it was uh, You've been listening to a recording of No Gloria, 100 Years of Women's Hockey in Quebec. This talk was delivered by Linda Barrow as part of the Ottawa Historical Association Lecture Series on September 16, 2014. You can find recordings of other talks at activehistory.ca. 